Blog Talk Radio. Hey everyone, it's Michael Vandervoort. It's March 9th. Uh, we're doing drive through HR today. Um, got a great guest, returning guest from a couple years ago. Got my co-host with me for the first time in a long time. Robin, welcome back. How are you doing today? Oh my God, I'm so glad to be back. And and just hearing the uh, our our fabulous theme song got me all wired up. <laughs> I know I had taken a week or so off, and I did I did an episode last week without you, and I thought the same thing. I was like, I kind of missed that. It's, it, it's terrible when a whatever that tune is, and it's a store bought snippet that you know from somebody. It's like it's kind of like I like it now. Anyway, so well, I'm glad to have you here. Um, we did a show a couple years ago. I don't remember exactly what month it was. Probably May ish of 2020, and yeah, our guest yeah. who is, is also a, a deep dark days of COVID. We still aren't really out of it, but it's better, I guess. But our guest then on a quarantine episode when we were all locked in our houses was John Hyman, and John's back with us today. So, John, welcome back to Drive Through. How are you today? I am doing well. It's awesome to be back with you guys. Thanks for thanks for the invite. I really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're ha- we're happy to have you back. It, the 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 when we had you on before, we had a really great discussion about kind of the, some of the stuff that employers needed to do related to COVID and things that we needed to be thinking about and policy, and it was all over the place. Yeah, at that stage, and and even now, there's still nobody knows, right? It's still evolving. But anyway, but you, you, I think back then, John, you had um, you had alluded to the fact that at once upon a time, you t- you talked about yourself as the, you know, kind of a labor law attorney, and that you you had switched. I forget you had a tagline on your blog, but I forget what it was. But you switched it from the you know the the, the something something attorney to the COVID attorney, and that was like everything everything you were dealing with at that point was COVID twenty four seven. It seemed like so. Where are you today? Are you have you moved on into some uh, some new things, maybe, and gotten away from that at least? Tell us, tell us what you do and what's going on today. So I'm an employment lawyer by trade. I've been practicing management side employment law for 25 years. Uh, the last two of which I was more or less a covert attorney, helping businesses with their covert related issues. But as the pandemic is is kind of fingers crossed winding down, as long as no more variants are lurking on the horizon that want to jump up and, and bite us and grab us out of the sense of security. We're starting to form around maybe having some sense of a normal life again. Uh, my days of a COVID lawyer, hopefully, uh, are if they haven't wound down, they're quickly winding down. The phone isn't ringing uh, nearly as much, if at all, as it has been in the past with, with pandemic-related questions. And so um, I've pivoted a little bit. I mean, I'm still an employment lawyer. Uh, I still represent uh, businesses on their labor and employment related issues, both kind of as outside in-house counsel for businesses and then as an employment uh, litigator as well. Uh, but I'm a, I'm a beer lawyer now, too. I, I started a uh, craft, uh, which uh, uh, as fun as it is, really, uh, but uh, I started a craft, uh, a craft brewery practice here um, uh, at my firm, Wiccan Terzer Panza, up here in the Cleveland, Ohio area, uh, along with uh, one of my partners. And we are representing craft breweries and a whole gamut of, I mean, not just on the employment law issues, but kind of the whole gamut of issues that a craft, legal issues that a craft brewery would face um, in its in its life cycle as a business. 
Interesting. Um, is it, did you mm-hmm. did you pick that space because it's uh, you know like are, is it a passion for beer or is it is there is it such because it's so growing so fast? How, how did you land there? I was just I was um, curious it's, about it's that. It's a little it's a little bit of everything. I do. I mean, I do have already, and I have historically represented a couple of a couple of craft breweries um, are in my kind of portfolio of historic clients. Um, I I like. I like drinking beer and learning about beer, so that doesn't help. It helps to have a passion for, I think, mm-hmm. what you do for a living. But it's also a, it's also a growth industry, particularly in Ohio, where, um, I mean, it seems like a new brewery opens up every week. I think where the, the latest data I saw was where 10th in the nation in the number of breweries, but 25th kind of per capita adjusted for population. So there's still a lot of room to grow. And there's frankly at least in my part of the state, there's other law firms and lawyers that kind of do this around Ohio, but not here in Northeast Ohio. So it's, it's a a bit of a hole that needs to be filled from a a lawyer slash consultant standpoint. And it's, it's one that I'm hoping to fill so that when breweries or people thinking about starting breweries, think of lawyers, at least up in my part of the state that they're going to think John Hyman. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, what's your? Uh, there could there could be uh, worse worse things to be associated with. So. I, I I would yeah. think, like I said, you gotta you, you gotta do what's fun and what you love, and so yeah, um, I've loved beer legally since I was twenty one, and maybe illegally for a little bit longer than that. But um, <laughs> yeah, but you know, you gotta you, you gotta I, I think in order to do your job well, you gotta have a passion for what you do. So you know, it, see now here's a, here's a here's a here's a. I was just no, saying, here's, ahead, my, here's my beer-related story, um, and I, I, I quite frankly don't like beer, uh, but I grew up in Milwaukee, and um, my great-grandfather and two of my great-uncles, uh, actually I think three of my great-uncles, all worked at various breweries, Paps, Schlitz, whatever. And um, so when I was little, um, and they were retired by then, but they – still continued to get cases of beer for free. And they would tell me the story of, you know, back in the day when they would, every week they'd go get their paycheck, which was probably cash, you know, back in the day. And they would go pick up their paycheck and you would pick up your paycheck and get a case of beer to take home. There you go. See, I grew up, I grew up in, I, I grew up in the industry sort of. My grandfather on my mom's side owned bars for years um the beer that he poured i would say to the extent there was craft beer back in the you know 50s 60s 70s 80s whatever um that wasn't what he was pouring i mean they they were shot beer Mm -hmm. bars in lousy neighborhoods but yeah but i grew up i grew up kind of in and around taverns um Uh uh, the cool story is that so my grandfather my great-grandfather they own hotels and they own bars back in the 40s 30s and 40s that's kind of how how they made how they made their living and then when and they also owned a winery out in Sonoma and oh, when wow. and when yeah and when world war 2 hit they needed to make the decision of whether they were going to keep the winery or keep the hotels and bars back on the east coast um, and they made the wrong choice cuz they sold the winery and so valley oh. of the moon it still exists today um, you can go into your local wine shop or supermarket or wherever and pick up a bottle of Valley of the Moon. That is my family's ancestral winery that 
uh, they unfortunately sold uh, back in the, I don't know, 30s or 40s. So, What a cool hmm. story. You could have been a, a wine heir. I could have been a wine heir. I could have been stomping grapes in my bare feet and and you know <laughs> swirling wine in glasses and taking a sip and spitting it out in a jug and you know jetting off to France to test grapes and all kinds of cool stuff. But here I am jug. in Avon, Ohio, talking about a blend of so it's, it's, all, it's all good. John, John Hyman and his buddies Ernest and Julio Gallo, but not, it was not to be. Just, not hey, to be. John, oh, yeah. So do you have a favorite craft brew? Uh, yeah, locally, um, Fatheads is my, is my beer of choice. They're a, a local Cleveland craft brewery. We think they distribute a little wider than that, but, um, really well known for their IPAs, which is my, which is my beer of choice. And if you were to find a Fatheads, um, if you ever find yourself up here or find a Fatheads in your local store, uh, Headhunter IPA would be my recommendation. It is, uh, uh, just about unmatched in the world of in in the world of IPAs. We need to bring Drive Through HR to Cleveland and get you and Tammy Colson together and have a wine and beer tasting that you guys. We, uh, yeah, we can do it all. Yeah. <laughs> we're mixing oh, some bourbon. Oh, anyway. All good. Awesome. Yeah, I'm not a unlike Robin. I love beer, but unlike Robin, I love beer, but I don't like bourbon. Uh, but anyway, that's all right. We we there's something for everyone in that selection. We so don't we discriminate. Can do some good stuff. So. Hey, Robin, um, I, I know I sent you some questions, and I know we didn't have a chance to rehearse at all, so you want to ask John a question yeah, before I start yeah, jumping yeah, into yeah. a couple other yeah. things? Um, yeah, so, you know, you, you mentioned, John, you know, we've kind of, for the most part, um, at least from the bulk of it, moved on from from COVID, or you're getting a lot of pandemic questions and things like that, and and I do have to say, I, in the in the midst of the last two years, especially when things were coming fast and furious, I, I swear to you, I think every day I would log in to see what you were giving us as the latest update on COVID. Mm-hmm. Thank and you. I appreciate that. Forwarded your blog post uh, to so many, you know, uh, multiple posts to HR peers, colleagues, and clients to say, yep, read this, read this, read this. Um, so you, you you served a great purpose for lots of HR folks. I, I, I know that. But um, what have we – What's on the horizon now? I guess, you know, what do you see? What are the big sort of labor relations and, you know, employment law, HR topics um, that that are starting to cross your desk? I think the topic that needs attention that's not getting enough attention right now in in the business community is the rise of uh, is the rise of union organizing and the labor movement that's going on in the country right now, we are we haven't seen this in decades. The 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 role that labor unions are playing, um, you know, out in the country right now, and yeah. we have a couple of generations or more of business owners and HR practitioners who have never thought of a labor union, let alone had to deal with an organizing campaign, and they don't know the yeah. first thing of what to do. They don't know what the rules are. They don't know what they can say, what they can't say. They don't know what to look for in terms of whether maybe the, the, the warning signs that might tip them off as to whether a union is actually kind of out there talking to their employees and trying to organize them. They just have, they just have no idea, and it's just not being talked about nearly enough. So there is a massive knowledge gap that needs to be filled in the HR community at large with 
um, kind of the, the labor organizing rules of the road, the do's and the don'ts, yeah. what you can say, what you can't say, and, and what to look for. Because by the time a union shows up at your door with those, with those signed cards and either ask for recognition or an election, you're, you're too late. You are so far yeah. behind the eighth ball at that point if you have not been – A, if you don't have the right culture in place that is going to – under which your employees aren't going to want to organize in the first place or – you haven't been doing the kind of, and I know union avoidance now is, is a loaded term, but the, but the union avoidance conversations with your employees about why, um, why they shouldn't want to join a union and why they should want the workplace to remain union free. If you're not having those conversations before the union shows up, you're, you're dead in the water when they do. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, I did I a think show last. You... Go ahead, Robin. Go ahead, Michael. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, I did a show last week with somebody, uh, uh, and we mentioned a resource, which I'll mention again. It's called laborunionnews.com, and it's, a, it's an aggregator site that covers everything that's going on in labor relations from both sides of the fence. And if, you, if you're not aware of it and you're a practitioner, you should check it out. It's a great way to keep up with what's going on. It's not going to do what John just talked about. It's not going to train you to, to know the basics of labor relations. But if you're not in that space and you want to follow and see trends, it's, it's one of the best places to go right now to, to see uh, information. It's got like 2,000 stories posted in the last two months. So just yeah, uh, and call you, and, as and you just, I mean, all you need to do is go take a peek on like the anti-work subreddit, which is Mm-hmm. should be required mm-hmm. reading for yeah. employers at this point. But, and if you yeah. don't know what that is, Reddit, Reddit is uh, essentially it's a, like a social media message board, essentially broken up by topics. Um, but one that has gained traction in the last year or two is called anti-work. It is employees essentially going on there and griping about their jobs for lack of a better description, but interspersed in there, in employees talking about what they don't like about how they're being treated at work is you will see the union organizers pop in and comment and, and it's, and it should be um, eye opening for employers at how um, unions are using technology like that for outreach uh, to employees, to industries, um, to business segments that have traditionally, they've, they've not, they've, they've not had an inroad in. Yeah. Yep. Totally. Well, and it's sorry, Robin. I, you got. I, go ahead. Sorry, I'm not used <laughs> to. I'm not used to having someone else. <laughs> go ahead. We got to get in our flow again. Um, yep. I think the interesting part to me, and I, I've not worked. Um, gosh, it's been a good 15 years since I was, <laughs> thankfully, at a, a a place where we had CBAs, but. Um, the what's interesting to me sitting on the outside is um, when you talk about HR practitioners not that have not been in that environment before not and what they think about unions it is so far beyond what people think of as a stereotypical oh they're all pipe fitters and auto workers and so that's all the only folks I have to you know worry about and I don't employ that sort of workforce and so they they don't pay attention to just be aware of the, the groups, um, the types of employees that are banding together collectively. It, you know, it's yeah. crossing industries um, that, that it hadn't to the extent that it is now. Yeah, and, and oh. in, a, in, a, in a million years, you would have never thought a year ago that we'd be talking about 
you know, Starbucks baristas nationwide organizing and yeah, voting yeah. for unions. And here, and here we are yeah. in March of 2022, and there's, what, over uh, – Michael, you probably know the number, but, I mean, over 100, 100. – yeah, 130 are, are, plus, John, right. as of this morning, 131 right. or something like wow. that. Wow. Yep. Wow. And, and when I see it, it, it as, 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 go ahead. I was going to say, I mean, I see it in the 10,000 stores. You know, go ahead, John. I'm sorry, we're getting a little bit of lag here. Go ahead and talk. I'll shut my mouth. Oh no, I was going to say, I mean, I see it in the in the craft beer industry as well. That um, Great Lakes Brewery, which is the the largest and oldest uh, craft brewery. In, craft brewery in Ohio um, is in the, in the midst of being organized uh, by the steelworkers. Um, I, uh, the IWW, the uh, international workers of the world is out trying to organize breweries as well. They have a dedicated uh, uh, email address slash inbox where brewery employees can uh, uh, send emails for the IWW to come in and, and, uh, and organize. So it is for sure, uh, Robin's 100% correct. Industries, it's not the right. It's not the pipe fitters and the steel workers just anymore. It is, mm-hmm. and in fact, I think unions are getting away from those legacy industries because they're looking to they're looking to remain or to 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 become relevant again. And so they're looking at the Starbucks and the Amazons um, and the breweries and other industries that they traditionally weren't in. Mar- marijuana, yeah. uh, legal, you know, all over the country, California, Massachusetts, all, all, you know, many places they're getting organized as well um, in the marijuana industry. So, yeah, they're looking for those things that are going to be domestic. They're going to be, you know, they're not going to move offshore, which is where unions got hurt, you know, decades yeah. ago. And they definitely are trying to be become relevant again. The other thing, uh, before we switch over back into more HR stuff than labor, but but since you said this was your big story, and I, I agree with you, John. I mean, I'm focused all over this because it's my job anyway. But, yeah, it's crazy, the stuff that's happening right now. But the other thing we're seeing is this big, you know, kind of play off what Robin's point was. It's not only cutting across the industry. There's a big generational drive here as well. It's kind of a – it's a shit. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Starbucks campaign in, in particular – are younger, what they call it, Gen Z people, but they're not starting to refer to themselves as Gen U, Generation Union. And it's a whole different kind. I mean, the, 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 it's not even the usual, um, it's not the usual reasons that people seek a union. They're, they're seeking unions for entirely different reasons. A lot of it tied to the, to, to the anti-work philosophy, that we want a bigger voice, we want more control, we want, you know, they, it's not that they're unhappy with Starbucks per se, they don't they don't like certain parts of things and they, they feel like they deserve more voice and and this is how they're they're trying to get it and they've had four they have, they've had four elections so far and the union has won three of the four and there are three more this afternoon that are going to be counted at 3 p.m. so we'll see what the number looks like at the end of the day but I Starbucks isn't doing really well right now uh, uh, they're not doing big well thing. at all yeah um, they've made some moves that in my mind, I mean, it's easy to second guess from, you know, a thousand miles away or whatever, but some of the things they've done seem rather, um, I don't know. They, they seem rather desperate. I don't, not really, I, I anyway, I, I don't really want to get into a strategy discussion here, but yeah, they're, they're not doing well with this. Uh, and it, it, and it's a blitz type campaign. So they're, whatever resources they had in place are probably largely overwhelmed, just trying to do communications day by day over months. And, you know, the, this probably get a lot worse for them before it gets better. Um, anyway, that's my two cents on the Starbucks thing. Um, John, HR, other HR stuff. I mean, there's a ton of stuff coming from the NLRB and all that. Uh, but what, what other kind of HR issues are, are, I mean, 
ETS never happened, you know, so what, what, what other things besides the labor side, what else is there coming our way? Um, I mean, we've seen, I mean, some talk at the federal level of um, some attack on non-compete agreements. Um, I think by and large, they are um, overused uh, in businesses kind of in general. And so I think it's an industry or it's, it's a, it's a practice that I think is, is ripe for some overhaul uh, when mm-hmm. you are, you know, when you as a business are giving like all of your hourly, uh, your yeah. hourly non-exempt workers a non-compete agreement to sign and say, you know, we're going to pay you, you know, twelve fifty an hour to, to do X, Y, or Z. And, and if you leave here, even if we fire you, you can't go work for our competitor down the street. To me, it's just, I've called it, um, you know, killing a fly with a sledgehammer, and that sure is, is what it feels like. And so there's, there's talk of that on the on the. I know that's really high on Biden's radar is to kind of open up competition a little bit, and non-compete seem right for that. Pay equity is always a uh, mm-hmm. remains, I think, a hot topic. Um, as do, I think DEI, um, kind of the DEI, both on the race and on the mm-hmm. gender side, are always uh, re- remain hot. And I think while we thought that the LGBTQ issues had largely been put to bed with the Supreme Court ruling from a couple of years ago. Um, we've seen state legislatures now kind of creeping back in to, to make those yeah. as, as we continue fighting this culture war that I think in, in decades from now we're going to look back on and think uh, how horrible that we were still discriminating on the basis of sexual orientation in 2022. But, uh, mm-hmm. but there's still this, but it's still in the forefront of this, this culture war and that, and those wars, you know, continue to be battled uh, kind of state by state as well. So, I mean, COVID, you're right. COVID school board ha- by school board. Yeah, school board <laughs> by school board. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and COVID was all consuming for the last two years. And it's all, I think, HR practitioners is all we had. It's all we had time to think about because the issues evolved, not even day by day, but sometimes hour by hour. It was a full-time job just to stay current on kind of what was required of us you know, with our employees. Um, but all these other issues continued on in the background while we were all mm-hmm. consumed with our however many hours a week that we worked just managing COVID issues. And now that COVID thankfully is kind of uh, hopefully um, uh, going uh, the way of uh, at least becoming endemic and not a, and not a pandemic, all those issues yeah. that were still go- that were that were there and we were talking about before COVID happened are still there, um, and now they're back kind of on the uh, back on the front of mind. Yeah. What's your, yeah, I, what's your thoughts on um, you know kind of related to pay equity, but the the pay transparency types of um, you know legislation that is again in certain states right now where employers must post salary ranges and that sort of thing, um, and coupled with the don't ask a, a, a candidate their current or previous pay. Um, do you see that getting any federal traction? Um, I, I'm not sure if given the current makeup of Congress, we're going to see any federal traction on that. Um, I, I, I think generally speaking, um, I, I'm in favor of of laws like that because I think they do do away with a lot of the historical kind of discriminatory pay practices that are that are baked into a lot of jobs and a lot of industries and a lot of positions. Um, I think, um, you know, I, I have questions with how they're being implemented and how applicable they might be 
um, to an industry. So if you just take my industry, the legal industry, for example, um, you know, if you look at a law like New York's, which just says you have to post salary information and there's been nothing else fleshed out about what you have to do. Um, and then as an attorney who maybe I'm compensated, not with a salary, but I'm compensated as a partner at a law firm based on, you know, a percentage of what I collect or, or a percentage of revenue that I contribute to the firm or whatever, like how do you, like how do you account for that in a job posting or someone who's a commission salesperson who doesn't yeah. get a salary? But so I, I'm not, so these are issues that need, that need to be flushed out as these, as these laws um, evolve. But generally speaking, um, I think they're a good idea because they, they do away with the kind of historical discriminatory pay practices and pay differentials that are kind of baked into a lot of in, into a lot of industries and positions mm-hmm. yeah um i saw that you posted i think it was today maybe yesterday but i saw you posted on kind of a, a an old chestnut of a uh, but it's always a recurring problem it's flsa and rounding and actually the first thing i thought is like it's like donning and doffing. It's like we've been hearing cases on these things and, and passing laws and making rules since the, you know, the dawn of time. The Neanderthals had donning and doffing rules, I think. But anyway, but we still don't get it right. And, and it's just – this is more of a comment than a question, I guess. But, like, why is it such a problem, John? Is, FL, is FLSA really that challenging in 2022? I mean, the short answer is is yes, but I, but I think it's challenging. It's challenging for a couple of reasons. It's challenging because you have you you're trying to apply uh, you know an 80 year old law that was written for workplaces just, that just don't exist. Work workplaces mm. just don't exist anymore. Like we don't do work the way work was done when the FLSA was passed passed when we were trying to remedy, you know. 12 year old kids working 90 hours a week in a sweatshop. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, but, but the laws evolved over the years through this patchwork of regulation on top of regulation on top of regulation. And there's so many regulations and so many rules. And it's easy to say, you know, pay for hours worked and, and, you know, time and, you know, minimum wage and time and a half or hours over 40. But there's so many nuances that go into that that I still believe that if I went into any business in America, I could find a wage and hour violation. And it's not because mm-hmm. – and, and I hate when employee advocates and plaintiffs' lawyers use the term wage theft because that that it's a loaded term that presumes there's some intent here not to pay employees mm-hmm. what they're owed. And that's, that's just not the case. And in my experience, these are sins of – omission, not sins of commission. You're not trying to, are there bad employers out there that try and steal money from their employees? Absolutely. That's like the 1% of 1% of 1%. Most employers that get caught up in wage and hour violations are trying to pay their, are trying to pay their employees correctly and just don't understand all the nuances of every subparagraph in every in every section of the Code of Federal Regulations, it goes into interpreting what uh, the FLSA, which is a relatively short statute, what it what it actually means. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I know it's not as simple. Realistically, I know it's not as simple as it looks, but it just it is amazing to me that it, people keep dusting it over and over and over again. Listen, we're down to four minutes. We can run. We'll probably have a little bonus time because there's a couple other things I'd like to hit on. I love bonus Robin, time. did you have a yeah? Did you have a question for John? Well, you know, I think I think John gave us a really good segue to um, 
another thing that he's long been known for, um, mm-hmm. which is uh, giving us and letting us vote on, which is also always fun every year, um, vote on, like, worst employer. And uh, I've always loved, John, how you pull together these seemingly unbelievable yet incredibly believable stories of uh, employers doing boneheaded and or sometimes evil things. Um out out in the world. Um, so what, you know, you've had lots and lots of these worst employer stories, but what, what's one we maybe have not heard about or one or two that really stick in your mind? The one that I've, I've always hesitated to write about because he's known as being very litigious. And one of my goals in writing my blog, it's, it's going to, hit its 15th anniversary coming up uh, in the beginning of May. And in those almost 15 years, uh, my goal has always been not to get myself or my law firm sued for something I write. And so I've <laughs> always, so I, I write, <laughs> got to have goals. Um, and so the one employer that I've always hesitated and have never included on the list has been Dave Ramsey. Uh, oh, the yeah. financial consultant, uh, you know, self-proclaimed financial guru slash like hardcore right wing evangelical sure, sure Christian speaker. Once upon yeah. Time. Who, <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, who is famous for, um, you know, firing people that don't live what he views to be an appropriate Christian lifestyle, whether it's having extramarital relations or getting pregnant out of wedlock or, um, uh, you know, he uh, sacked some people early on, uh, you know, early on in COVID because they were protesting that the company, his company wasn't doing enough to take the pandemic, uh, to, to treat the pandemic with the seriousness that it that it deserved so um yeah so he is one that i've always hesitated um to put on my list because i always fear that seeing his name with worst employer next to it um kind of on a web page he might mm-hmm. trigger his legal department and i don't really i don't really need that aggravation in my life so um at this week, um, Better.com was back in the news. They were on my list yeah. last year when they um, uh, held what was supposed to be like an online town hall meeting, and it was really subterfuge to let 900 employees know that they had uh, they were being laid off, like effective immediately. Um, they're back on the news, or they're back in the news this week. Uh, so, in the wake of that, their CEO uh, Vishal Garg uh, took a leave of absence. The company brought him back like a month later. Um, so this whole thing blew up after this mass layoff last year. He went on a leave of absence. They, the company brought him back like a month later, and now he's back in the news again for yep. inadvertently letting like 8,000 people know they were being laid off when their severance checks um, severance checks showed up in their bank accounts without any warning that these layoffs <laughs> were coming or that uh, they were going to be included in a, in a layoff. Um, they just congratulations, you're losing your job, you know, because, and you know that because here's this severance check that's showing up in your, in your bank account. So uh, won't, won't make the list again this year because he was on the list last year, but certainly one that I think would be, uh, but for last year's appearance, I think would be, would be worthy of being on the list again. Yeah. You have to wonder about the, 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 the notion of paying severance, which, you know, good, good for that, I guess. But there's no uh, no releases, no agreements, no. Not, they're not getting any. They're just handing people checks apparently and not worrying yeah, about it. Yeah, it's a terrible. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, 
So may, may, maybe that makes him maybe that makes him the best employer because he's paying people and not getting a, a release in return. But and now he's, you know, he's subject to eight thousand different lawsuits for you know for wrong you know for wrongful you know just for discrimination or wrongful termination or whatever. Yeah, but um, yeah, I would never and I've I've never counseled a client to pay severance without getting that release in return. So that's I mean that's what you're paying for because yeah. you don't want to get sued. So. Yep. There was a, uh, this isn't an employer story per se, John, but there's a story that I thought of yesterday when, that I, when I saw it, which was uh, Bain Capital announced with great fanfare on International Women's Day that they had started a crypto practice. Uh, and they, they had a whole thread on Twitter about oh, I saw the, that. Their, you know, their team. And when they announced it, and then they said, let me introduce this fantastic team of six white guys and an Asian guy. Uh, yeah, they had the they had the and, they had the Brady Bunch tic tac toe board up there of all white guys. Yeah, and they 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 correspondingly got killed by everyone on Twitter, and and then they posted a non apologetic apology saying sorry for that mess up. Uh, we'll do better. We promise. Bye. And they they deleted and, and, the, well, the, the the picture. <laughs> I mean, Bank Capital is Bank Capital is always you know so well known for being on the forefront of um, you know. Uh, uh, Inclusion and so I'm surprised that they would <laughs> yeah, let that happen. Yeah, yeah they, they got counterpointed by somebody whose name was Ariel or Arian, and she put up I don't know ten or twelve females and and you know or and or um, at other other males of other uh, ethnicity besides Caucasian. It, like two minutes after the post went up and it it went viral, so people were yeah I I know everybody loves to kill everybody on Twitter these days, but it it was really a, a case of much like that good, better example that you just gave us, really bad just sort of decision-making and timing. They, people obviously weren't thinking about stuff, so easy, no, to, it's, easy it's, to laugh it's at a, in 2020. But. It's a tone deafness, but in, 20, but, but in 2022, your marketing department and your social media team, you, they just can't afford to be tone deaf like that. So, so yeah. we have run over in, into bonus time, as I said, about three minutes. So we probably uh, – probably need to wrap up so you can get back to making some billable hours. But before, before we go, first of all, congratulations on 15 years of blogging. My God, that's a ton yeah. of content and a ton of time. That's the, I blogged for a long time, but not that long. I, I made 10 and gave it up. <laughs> um, and drive throughs has been around for about 11 or 12, but you, that's a, that's a yeah. real accomplishment, my friend. Uh, congratulations. I appreciate it. Thank yeah. you very much. It's a it's a labor of love. If it wasn't, I wouldn't do it. But I I really I really do, I really do love doing it, which is why I've stayed at it for as long as I have. So, but I I I, I appreciate the uh, I, I I appreciate the sentiment. Yeah. No. I and I, I and I also wanted to just add one thing before we kind of let let you tell people where they can find you, which is I echo Robin's. Uh, the value that 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 people in our profession extracted from your blog over the, over the COVID era, I think, was tremendous. And I, I, a number of your other colleagues that are law bloggers, uh, Kate Bischoff, Eric Meyer, David, Perz, you know, there there were a number of people who did great work during that period that was really helpful to the to the profession. I think, and really, you, you guys uh, gave I, th- I think far and above what people probably would ever have expected. And, and, and you, you yeah. deserve a lot of respect for that as well. So thanks on that as well, John. I, I appreciate um, that. You know, I think in, in times of crisis, which is what we've been in for the last two years, I think, uh, I, I don't know if obligation is the right word, but I, I felt, I, I felt a duty to, to give back to the community and to, to, to do what I could to make sure that things were being done the right way. And so, mm-hmm. uh, but, uh, but I, I, I'm glad that it that it didn't go unnoticed. So I I I really appreciate that. Yeah. 
And with that, thanks for being our guest today. It's always great to have you on the show, and obviously we love talking to you. Um, but for the as we wrap up, tell folks where they can find your blog and, the, and your contact info or social media, whatever you want to share. Um, they can find me everywhere. You can literally just Google John Hyman Employment Lawyer, and I'll pop up everywhere. But uh, the blog is ohioemployerlawblog.com. Uh, if you are a craft brewery or uh, know people who own one, uh, you can find info on our, on our new beer practice at ohiobeerlawyers.com. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention my podcast as well, which is not a legal podcast. It's, it's one I've started with my 15-year-old mm-hmm. daughter, Nora, uh, mm-hmm. the Nora and Dad Show, which you'll find wherever you listen to podcasts. If you just search for Nora and Dad Show, we get together weekly and just kind of uh, to talk about just life and and what's going on on a kind of day-to-day basis in uh, between a dad and his 15-year-old daughter. So uh, check that out as well. Uh, Twitter at John Hyman, LinkedIn, Jonathan Hyman, because there is uh, damn him another John Hyman <laughs> who got to that, got to that on LinkedIn before I could. And so I think he's a, I think he's a physician in New Jersey, but I'm not that John Hyman. I'm Jonathan Hyman on LinkedIn. Uh, but again, I mean, if you Google, my name and just type like employment law or employment lawyer, uh, you'll find me kind of all over the place. So, Awesome. Well, thanks, Robin. It was good Fantastic. to hear your voice on an episode. I hope it you can was. make it back again soon. Um, we, we, we're out yeah, of practice, some, but that's okay. It's, I've got some things uh, winding down, so uh, so we should be able to get back on, a, back on our schedule. Awesome. I'll look forward to that. And John, have a great rest of the week. Uh, you guys do too. Thank you so much. This was great. You're welcome. Let me take care. I'm going to go ahead and end the show now. And bye, everybody. See you next time.